0: That was unsatisfactory. <laughs> Good morning, church. Good morning. Ah, yes. Good to see you all this morning. I, uh, I, we still have a number of our family that are traveling and visiting different places. Some of you have been traveling, and so welcome back. I hope it was a good time of whatever it was, visiting family or um, traveling for business or just uh, tasting good food, whatever it may have been. I hope the food was indeed good. If you left Malaysia, it's a little bit more challenging because Malaysia has such a high bar for good food. Um, as uh, Gupreet said, uh, we, this is um, our last chapter in this series in Isaiah. It's not the last chapter of Isaiah, in case you're worried that you have a different Bible than we do. Um, we, we did a series, we're finishing up uh, doing Isaiah 1 through 12, and so today we will look at Isaiah 12, and then we will be next week starting in First John. And so we will go through 1 John together as a church, and then we'll come back to Isaiah and do another portion of Isaiah. Isaiah is long, and we, just to keep um, progressing through it, we decided to go back and forth with some New Testament study and Old Testament study. So that's the the big plan. Um, So this morning we are in Isaiah 12. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there or open your app to it or whatever, however you're accessing God's Word? In the last few days, the, the news has been a buzz um, with this new telescope. Um, the James Webb Telescope costs more than $10 billion dollars um, and it's giving us new views of the universe that we've just n- never seen before. I don't know. You see some of the images here. Uh, just astounding beauty. When I heard them uh, talking about this telescope in the news, I heard I heard it on the radio the first time I heard about it, and uh, they're talking about this this telescope and how um, it is helping us see things that we've just never seen before and that it would um, give us new information about the universe, potential habitable planets, which just sounds so, so interesting. <laughs> and,
1: and then how all of this happened and why this happened, which I think is really interesting. The telescope does a lot for us. It does help us
0: see space that we've not seen before. It does maybe open our eyes to see some planets that are potentially habitable. It may even give us some ideas of how this came about. But does it tell us why? I think that's a claim beyond what this telescope can do. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not one of those that tries to pit faith against science. I think we, God has given us the tools of learning brains to investigate. We want to embrace science and not disregard it. But there are some questions that science doesn't answer. And a, most significantly, the why question. Why are we here? Why are things the way they are. If the planet is merely accidental, why do we care about the meaning of life? Why do we grieve? Why do we long for something different? So where do we look for these answers to the questions of why? What do we look to understand in the meaning of life? Or why is there suffering? The Bible helps us understand the why questions, even if we don't always understand what it's telling us, um, or maybe we don't like the answers that it gives. The Bible is not the only option for for answers. Many people look look for these answers in other places. Some people do look to science for these answers often struggling to find any answer satisfying. Uh, People look for the answers in other religions. Um, It's not my goal this morning to tear down those who have, those who give other answers. I'll just say that in my own explorations, in my own reading and and, um, trying to understand these things, I've found the Bible and the God who revealed the Bible to us the most satisfying most plausible answers to these questions of why but we also need to understand that the questions the answers are not the answers in the bible are not lined up for us in like a an faq page on a website frequently asked questions it's not like you know chapter 1 why are we here chapter 2 why is this Uh, That's not how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. That's not how the Bible operates. Um, Rather, God goes big. He reveals Himself and reveals the story of a people for whom God has pursued since the beginning of time. It, It stays with the story as the people have rebelled against God and wander and rebel and wander and rebel and wander, and rebel, and wander and rebel and wander. And God is pursuing us steadfastly, faithfully, because he desires a relationship with us. So, in the midst of this grand story of God's relentless pursuit of us, we begin to get the answers to these why questions. We're going to explore three questions today in the context of Isaiah 12, which operates like a reflective hymn at the end of this section of 1 through 12. So it's not only this, this part is more of a a praise hymn of Thanksgiving, but it's also a little bit of a review of the first 11 chapters of Isaiah. So the questions we're going to explore today, why do bad things happen? Why do we respond how do we respond and then what is the joyful response? Let me read Isaiah 12. It's 6 verses long. So it won't be that that long. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds Among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst
1: is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So, why do bad things happen? Now, we are a diverse group
0: here in this room. I imagine there are many things that we would disagree about. Uh, What the best food is, what the best color is, right? What is considered uh, fashionable. Maybe we differ on political views or something more controversial. But I think we can agree on this thing, bad things happen. Um, We've seen it. I, I expect that we've all seen it in some way or another. That no matter what your status is, if you're the wealthiest person on the planet, you are not immune to bad things happening. You can still contract cancer. You can still lose a loved one. Your favorite pet can die whatever it may be, we as humans experience hurt and loss and pain and suffering. And that's the context in which Isaiah is writing, is he is walking through, he, from chapter one, he begins to warn the people that there is going to be suffering that is coming. And then he gets more clear in this particular episode of the Assyrian invasion. And with that invasion comes much suffering. And with suffering comes the automatic question of why. Why is this happening
1: to me? Why, oh God, would you let this happen? When bad things happen, we try to make sense of it, and we
0: try to make sense of it sometimes for other people. I don't know when you've experienced something challenging in your life if you've had other people volunteer some explanation. Sometimes that can be really encouraging and helpful and supportive, and sometimes it's not so much. Um, so. Um, Even within the Christian community, people come up with answers that don't always match what we find in the Bible. And so I'm just going to go through uh, four approaches, four theories that people have about suffering. None of them are the right one, so just don't be looking for one of these four to be the right one. You will be confused. So theory one, we did something personally to disobey God. The theory goes that, oh, you have this sickness, you must have some kind of secret sin, and that's why you're sick, or that's why this has happened to you. Theory I'm going to go back to these theories in a second. Theory two, we did not uh, think or dream positively enough. We did not have faith. I'll put faith in quotation marks. Theory three, we are part of a family or a tribe
1: or a nation that is under a curse. Theory four, an evil spirit or the devil
0: did it, and we did not cast him out properly. Have you heard any of these before? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard other ones, I don't know. It is said that the best lies are the ones with some truth in them that makes them believable. And each of these theories has some truth in them. So theory one, we did something personally to disobey God. Yes, it's true. We did. Every single one of us did. So that doesn't really explain why this person got cancer. It's not, we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But what's implied here, and when people talk about this, what's implied often is that this person did something particularly wrong that is deserving
1: of God's immediate punishment. And the truth is, all of us have disobeyed.
0: Um, But to imply that there is a particular bad sin that they're being punished for, if this is the case, wouldn't the worst offenders, wouldn't human traffickers and serial killers, wouldn't they like get judged more quickly if it was like that, if that's the way God operated? Think of Job. In the Old Testament, his friends kept hunting for something that he did to earn his suffering. And they never did find anything. Other, I mean, in other words, they were just as sinful as he was. And so this is not a a helpful explanation. Theory two, we uh, did not think or dream positively enough. Um, Truth. We are asked to have faith. Yes. But our faith is not to be
1: in our own positivity or in our dreams. People get away with a lot of false teaching by
0: using words that we are familiar with, like the word faith, and then they twist the way the words are used. Faith is one of those words. I can have faith that I can run faster than Usain Bolt. That does not change the outcome of that race. I will lose to Usain Bolt, even though he's retired. I'd like to think of myself as retired as well (laughs) from my sprinting life. but yeah, having faith won't change the outcome of that, right? I can be as positive as I want to be about my own speed, but Usain Bolt is just faster. That's all there is to it. Um, there's, uh, I've heard a popular preacher say that negative thoughts bring us trouble and our positive thoughts bring us favor from
1: God. Does this mean, then, that only the negative people get cancer? No.
0: It's ridiculous. The prophets, we we don't have to look any further than the prophets of the Old Testament as proof that this is not the way God operates. The prophets many times are told by God to give hard truths their goal is not to be negative Nancy's or whatever it is. Their goal is to deliver what God has told them to deliver. And sometimes what God delivers is in the form of a
1: warning, in the form of hard truth. In fact, actually, the, in some places in the Old Testament, it was
0: the prophets who tried to only say the positive things that turned out to be false prophets. And they led people astray with their attempting only to say positive things. They, were, they went away from giving the necessary warnings. Theory three, we are part of a family, tribe, nation that is under a curse. This is true in the broadest sense. Humanity fell under a curse in Genesis chapter 3. It's not one tribe or another, not one nation or another, not one family or another. We all came under the curse. I've heard some people, even on TV, try to explain why a certain place had an earthquake or another place had this sickness. It is terribly short-sighted. Every place I know of ha, uh, know of has experienced some kind of disaster or trauma in their history. This kind of theory actually is um, just reveals prejudice and racist tendencies of the person saying it more often than anything else. Theory 4. An evil spirit or the devil did it, and we did not cast him out properly. There is an evil one, and he seeks to be destructive in our lives. However, um, the devil made me do it has never been a valid excuse. Uh, The devil will do what he can to draw our devotion and worship away from God. And actually, quite often, he lures us with blessings and favors more than suffering. So uh, just as an example, there was um, an article written in the Desiring God website recently. And it's, um, I don't know if you've read the, the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, in Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis was just a very creative, imaginative writer. And what he did was he was writing letters from an uncle, uh, evil spirit, to his nephew, evil spirit, giving him advice on how to distract a Christian. This, um, this article on on Desiring God was it, it's the same kind of thing. So it's a evil spirit talking to a junior evil spirit on how to distract people. And the, the scenario is this guy went for surgery and they ended up accidentally puncturing his lung. And the younger evil spirit was celebrating like, oh, we did it, we got we got him with suffering. And so then it says this, suffering, you should know by now, is most unpredictable. Most assuredly, it can harden the heart, pushing out the very possibility of a kind, powerful, all-knowing God. Or, as you better hope is not your case, it can bring the very thing used by the enemy, the enemy being God, to rob our knives and forks of their roast.
1: If we think about,
0: um, I just let me make three points really quickly here, relating to the devil and his, his work. So first, the devil more often lures our hearts with promises of fame, fortune, and pleasure. Um, and you just look at the temptation of Jesus. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the suffering put to Jesus that, that, made, that was the temptation. It was the promise of something else that was the temptation put in front of him. Two, Satan's power is never a rival to God's power. Satan's power is never a rival to God's power. When Satan brought uh, suffering to Job, he could not do so without God allowing it to happen. And three, not all suffering is a ploy of Satan, and we really should not give him credit every time. There's there's so much more that can be said about all of this. This is a big topic that we're trying to distill into a short amount of time. The biblical answer to this question requires a little more nuance. Bad things happen because the whole world is not as it should be. The perfection of God's creation was broken when the first humans chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden. At that point, all of humanity inherited this waywardness, this state of rebellion. And not only that, the the rest of the earth was impacted. So last week, we looked at the promise of a lion and lamb lying down together, or a child And a snake playing around each other. These are examples of a world that is no longer the way it should be. It's no longer in a state of peace or shalom. Famines and earthquakes and cancer and traffic accidents and pandemics, they're not rooted in one person's secret sins or the lack of positive thinking. All of these things have come about because sin entered the world, and sin has consequences. Sometimes we see the immediate consequences of our sin. If I go into the mall down the the road, and I steal a watch, and I get caught, I go to jail. Immediate consequence, right? Right? But that's not the only consequence. If I get caught and go to jail, it also impacts my my family, right? And how does it impact my sons without a father supporting them? Then the decisions they make are, as a result, not only because of what I've done, but that contributes to it. And if you think about this, we are thousands of years into this human experiment, just layers and layers of consequences of our sin unraveling before our eyes. In other words, it's a really complex world and there's a lot of suffering that's happening now that is a result of many, many different
1: consequences of sin. The world no longer functions the way God
0: intended it to be. But God does not intend for the world to stay that way. When God called Abraham, he called a nation of people uh, to become his people, to become the people of God. And they were to demonstrate to the nations around them what it means to be the people of God, the creator God, to show another way of living, to live not captive to the patterns of sin and brokenness. But sadly, God's people, uh, they did not do this.
1: Instead, they lived like everyone else, rebellion and wandering. What made it even worse was when God blessed the people with their needs, they would forget about him. And so God used some hard things,
0: like this invasion of Assyria, in order to get their attention. In other words, when bad things happen, they are an opportunity
1: for us to wake up. Every breath we take is a gift from God.
0: The beginning of chapter 12 acknowledges that God is rightly angry with his people. But this passage rejoices that God has turned away from his anger. God is merciful and compassionate. It was, it was not the case that Israel did something to turn God's anger away, rather, God is merciful in nature and sought to bring comfort rather than his full wrath. So how do we respond? How do we respond to God's mercy in the midst of a a hard and hurting broken world? Some might be outraged that God would ever be angry with us. Why should God care what we do? Why would God restrict our
1: freedom? At first glance, we can make God out to be too restrictive. But the truth is,
0: every society on the planet has
1: restrictions. Take smoking, for example, at this point. There was a time when smoking was not
0: restricted. But now, it's an individual activity, right, where smoking is. If you're an adult, you have the choice whether to smoke or not smoke, right? And you have that freedom to do so.
1: But not on an airplane, right? If you get on an airplane... I don't know any airline
0: in the world now that allows smoking. Maybe you do, but I don't know anyone that does. Um, I do remember flying in the days when smoking was allowed. You had little ashtrays right on your arm of the, of the plane. And, and even when I was sitting in the non-smoking section, it didn't matter. It was as if I was sitting in the smoking section because you know, you're in a big can and smoke has nowhere to go except through the whole place. Um, The the restriction on the smoker allows the freedom for everyone else to breathe. Airlines are trying to create an environment for everyone on the plane to enjoy the flight as much as possible, except not with comfortable seating. And, And really, like, that's the way life is. Every government has restrictions Every culture has things that you do and you don't do, it is part of our our world. Just complete freedom to do whatever you want means you could only exist in isolation from each other. You couldn't be together as humanity. For God, the whole world is like that airplane. He desires that we live in such a way that we honor each other, honor the planet and honor God himself. Others might think that they don't deserve God's anger. Maybe they assume that they're uh, pretty good. Maybe they uh, know that they have done some small things wrong, but it doesn't hurt anyone really, right? At least that's how they justify it. But that's not how sin works. Sin is more like a clever salesperson who makes good eye contact with you. They know just enough about you to say, I know how to
1: get them in. Sin is corrosive. It spreads. It corrupts.
0: It grows. It sinks its teeth into you.
1: When you think your sin is not all that bad, then you see God's response differently. You see it as God being
0: overly harsh. If you think sin is harmless, then you think God is being judgmental. And then you don't really grasp His mercy. But if you see sin as every sin, any even the smallest of sins, as creating a break between you and the Holy
1: Creator God, it allows you to see His mercy shine more brightly.
0: So much is a matter of perspective. It can be tempting to place all of our focus on our lives right here and right now. It's understandable. We pour... It's so much into our jobs, into our families, into our friends, into our possessions. It can be hard to see past this temporary moment. But God sees a world wildly different from the beautiful world he intended. God intends to restore the world, a world free of suffering and death, a world free of bad things of tragedy, of calamity. While we are so focused on the moment, God is looking at all eternity.
1: Bad things bring grief and suffering, but in a bigger perspective, we see that God is doing something to reform the world so that it would be a world without this kind of suffering.
0: So because of God's great love, he sent his son, Jesus, to live in the midst of our brokenness. In other words, God entered our suffering. It was not just uh, the, the physical pain that he endured on the cross, but he took our sin to the cross,
1: bearing the shame and guilt that was on us. He
0: took the punishment we each had coming to us. And it is, uh, it is how God could show mercy in this passage, and yet maintain his goodness and his holiness.
1: Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate bad thing, but in his death, we gained life. So what is the joyful response? God's mercy should lead us
0: to worship. Isaiah 12 shows us how we respond. Even when things are difficult, Isaiah 12 actually quotes from Exodus chapter 15. It's another time of remembering how God had worked during bad times, during hard times. He delivered them from bondage to slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, they endured slavery in Egypt. And then, and when they had entered the wilderness, he continued to lead them and provide for them. Uh, Isaiah is able to offer thanks and praise to God, just as Moses did in Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation, which you see in verse 2 of Isaiah 12. Isaiah offers this same proclamation. God has not changed or left his people. So let's look at this in three quick parts. First, give thanks. There is so much to give thanks to God for. Regardless of our current difficulties, we know that God is here and that he loves us and is in control. Having a thankful heart is a mark of godliness. Think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. He retu- routinely expressed thanks to God for those he is writing in his letters. So, for example, in First Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church that's just got all kinds of problems. And, and, and beyond that, uh, he's got some relational tension with some people in that church. They've had some they've had they have some history, you know? And yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 he says, "I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus." This is not a fake kind of thanksgiving. It's not like children being forced to forced by their parents to go say thank you to someone for giving them a gift or making them food or whatever it is. Paul is not pretending that there aren't relationship tensions. He's not pretending that there aren't problems in the Corinthian church. But he knows that God has begun a work in each person's life. And that is miraculous. And that is God's grace at work. The author of that work of transformation is the Lord God Almighty.
1: Let us thank him. Two, sing praise. Music and song are basic to
0: life. When normal words fail us, Music gives wings to our emotions. It's why people have expressed their undying love for, their, for a boy or a girl through song, right? Songs can connect us to memories and strong feelings like few, very few other things. Music can also move us to emotion. Professional athletes listen to music to pump them up for a game Or someone under a lot of stress may listen to something that is soothing to calm them down. King David and the other writers of the Psalms, they knew that songs were vital for maintaining a heart of thanksgiving to God. I recently had the opportunity to celebrate the retirement of a missionary. Uh, He was one of those that had worked tirelessly for more than three decades Loved people deeply, was faithful to make Jesus known to everyone he came into contact with. He had gone through uh, a bout with a serious case of cancer. he had faced all kinds of challenges while serving with his family and, and other things. At this retirement ceremony, there was a younger missionary who um, had gotten up to share a few words about the this senior missionary who was retiring. And so he described traveling with the senior missionary. The senior missionary would be up late, late at night, like after midnight, sharing the gospel with people. And then he would wake up at 5 a.m. And so my friend who was like, he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't handle staying up so late. And then 5 a.m., he was being woken up. And, and so then the senior missionary says, well, let's sing a song. And this guy that was sharing, he's like,
1: I don't want to. <laughs> um, he was not ready to sing a song at that moment.
0: But what the missionary learned, what the young missionary learned from this senior missionary was that, that joy and thanksgiving were not based on circumstances.
1: They were based on a condition of the heart. This senior missionary, he'd gone through
0: a lot. And no doubt was tired at that moment at 5 a.m. But his heart was grateful to God for every breath he had. For every chance he got to utter Jesus' name to someone who had never heard it, he was thrilled and excited. So this younger missionary took this lesson with him and has begun singing in the morning. Are there songs of praise in your heart? Do you have a pattern of listening to music or singing songs of praise? I'm going to get really practical here for a minute. I don't know what your... Habits are in terms of listening to praise music. I'm not here to tell you that you should only be listening to praise music 100% of the time, but it is songs do stick with us. Song lyrics stick with us, even if you don't even think about it. I, I found myself one day, I was driving down the road, this was a long time ago, singing a lyric to a song. Without even thinking about it. It was a song from my high school days. And it was (laughs) the, the line in there, some of you may recognize this, is no, I don't have a God. And I was singing that without even thinking about it. And I suddenly realized, what am I doing? Like without even just, what am I echoing here without any reflection? So songs are important, and they have an effect on us, and what we listen to can impact us. Now, no matter what kind of music you like, I'm pretty sure you can find songs that praise Jesus in that style, whether it's classical music, go listen to Handel's Messiah, or hip-hop, there's some really great God-glorifying hip-hop out there. YouTube is a gift in this regard. It's not always a gift. But in this case, you can find music in every kind of language, in every kind of style. I think it's even possible to praise Jesus in country music, which I didn't think was possible. (laughs) So find something that does connect with your emotions, that gives God glory. Find something that most ideally is, d- does match up or even uses words from Scripture. Um, let that be the thing that you begin to repeat while you're at work, while you're washing the dishes, whatever you're doing. Um, when I said that you can find praise, praise music, um, you can also create praise music. So if there's not something that is, you know, just use use the creativity that God has given you to create new worship songs, new poetry, um, new, and then share with us. And that's what we're here for, is to come together and worship in all of the different languages and creativity that God has given us to, to worship together in. Okay. Thirdly, shout among the nations. The way Isaiah introduces the song of praise, he seems to understand that there are those from the other nations that who do do not know the name of God, and they will hear this hymn of praise. In other words, Isaiah is assuming that people who do not know God may hear them singing this song of praise. He uses a general term for God in verse 2, as if to say, this is the God of salvation
1: that we praise, and that who he is is Yahweh and none other. Sing
0: praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. My family, we call California home in the States. And along the coast there, the Pacific Ocean, there are whales that are known to migrate up and down the coast, depending on the time of the year. We were traveling one weekend to see some family, and we stopped at this viewpoint up on a cliff overlooking the ocean, and uh, we looked over at the water and we saw this whale lunge out of the water and back into the water and was lunging into a school of fish. And then we saw another whale do the same thing. And so we, there were some people walking up and we told them quickly to, to go and, and look at this thing that's happening. And then those people told other people because – this is This is a cool sight. You don't get to see whales lunge feeding very often. This is what Isaiah is telling us to do is there is something marvelous to see. Let's tell other people let's invite other people to behold the marvelous works of God. A lot of times. Um, we, when we hear music performed, uh, we just automatically, impulsively clap at the end of it, right? And it's like that, right? And it's you know, like you know you want the person up stage to feel good, but you're not really thinking about it. You're just like, yeah, good job. Sometimes uh, when we really enjoy a performance, we clap even harder. We we try to make it known, right? That was to wake people up that're sleeping. <laughs> But on a rare occasion, I don't know if this has happened to you, we hear a performance that is so incredible, so moving, that we're just taken to somewhere else completely in our minds and our hearts. The song reaches an end, and everyone is just so spellbound by that performance that there's like a moment of silence
1: there. And then suddenly, everyone erupts in applause. This is what I imagine here. The Lord has done
0: gloriously. And if we would just pause and take notice, we will experience something just unparalleled, the greatness and majesty and brilliance of God Almighty to experience his grace is so beautiful that even the angels long to look into it. It's the kind of thing that you'll want to shout out to everyone nearby. Hey, come look
1: at this. You need to see this. We've covered a lot of ground today. We want to acknowledge that bad things do happen. But we also want to
0: acknowledge that God is sovereign. And that suffering is only for a time. It doesn't mean that the pain is less. But those who have known joy in Christ know that there is hope. That God is working renewal. Like the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, he begins just by when he's confronted by the beauty of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God, he says, woe is me. We see God's mercy in action and that he
1: gives hope of life without suffering if we will turn to him. I want to conclude by reading from a... a passage in Romans chapter 5
0: and it, it's connecting this in the way of that we give thanks even in the hardest times because we have real hope so chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Will you pray with me? Father, we we, we come thankful for the prophet Isaiah, his willingness to say the hard things, knowing full well that he wouldn't, it would not be received well by the people around him. But Father, you gave him truth to share. Father, we thank you for the praise on his lips here in chapter 12. God, may we be this kind of people who praise you when times are good and praise you when times are hard. May we be filled with joy. May we know you deeply. And out of that, we experience your love, your mercy, your grace, the joy that you alone can give. And so, God, I pray that you would, this week, that we might wake up more thankful. Not out of
1: duty or obligation, but because we genuinely embrace what you have given us. Father,
0: I pray that you would use, uh, use the praise in our lips as a witness to the nations. Father, I pray that those all around us would, might be able to see the marvelous things you have done experience your mercy through, through that initial hearing of the praise in our lips. Father, we thank you for forgiveness and for life because of what your Son did on the cross for us. Father, I pray that you would use, use us to carry forward this this incredible message of your great love uh, to all around us so that those throughout Kuala Lumpur, those throughout Malaysia, those throughout the world might hear of your salvation. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.